The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. Coming up this hour... Negotiations continue between Russia and Ukraine. Ukrainian President Zelensky addresses the U.S. Congress this morning. The Fed's interest rate liftoff expected to begin today. And we'll tell you why Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index surged in 9%. A New York audit says nursing home deaths in the state were indeed undercounted. Plus, we're another step closer to getting rid of daylight saving time. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stanshower in sports. 60 points for Kyrie Irving. The Nets win. The Rangers won an overtime. Anthony Rizzo resigned with the Yankees. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak on Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. And good morning, I'm John Tucker. And I'm Karen Moscow. And futures are rising this morning. We're coming up to 501 on Wall Street, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, S&P futures up 44 points. Dow futures up 284, and Nasdaq futures up 216. The DAX in Germany is up two and a half percent. Ten-year Treasury down 5.30 seconds, yield 2.16 percent, and the yield on the two-year 1.85 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 1.7 at $98.03 a barrel. John. And Karen will have more on the markets in a minute. But first, the U.S. is set to unveil a fresh round of security assistance for Ukraine today as President Biden prepares to travel to Europe. The latest from Bloomberg's Amy Morris in our 99.1 newsroom in Washington. President Biden is expected to announce another $800 million in military aid for Ukraine, including more anti-tank and anti-aircraft missiles. That brings the total aid package just in the past week to a billion dollars. This as the president prepares to travel to Brussels next week. Former U.S. Ambassador to NATO Lieutenant General Douglas Lute says NATO and the EU are key to holding a strategic advantage. I think it's very significant. He's going to visit both NATO and address the security situation, but then he's going to go across town in Brussels and address the leaders of the European Union. Meanwhile, officials from Ukraine and Russia continue their negotiations today. Talks that Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky called difficult, but said had room for compromise. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Amy, thank you. Well, Ukrainian President Zelensky is giving a virtual address before lawmakers in the U.S. later this morning. And we get more from Bloomberg's Joe Matthew. He's going to be speaking to Congress, essentially a joint session. They're not going to be in the House chamber. They'll have an auditorium set aside in the Capitol complex for this because it will be a virtual address. It's supposed to be about 9 o'clock. And he's going to say thank you, having, by the way, met privately, virtually, but privately with lawmakers two weekends ago. This is going to be provided to the networks. It's going to be streamed online. People are going to watch this on TV. So his audience is very different now as he tries to make the case for more military hardware, if not a no-fly zone. And so far, the answer from the Pentagon on that one has been no. 
All right, Joe, thank you. Well, Joe Matthew will have analysis of President Zelensky's address later today on Bloomberg Sound On at 5 p.m. Eastern. Plus, you can catch President Zelensky's address live this morning at 9 a.m. on both Bloomberg Radio and Television. And another major story investors are following this morning, also centered in Washington. The Fed widely expected to begin its interest rate liftoff. We get a preview from Bloomberg's Michael McKee. The what has been priced into markets. The Fed will raise the nation's benchmark interest rate by 25 basis points. It's the what next that investors want to know. How many rate moves and how quickly, when and how do they start reducing the size of their balance sheet? Look to the new dot plot and economic forecasts for clues. And listen to Chairman Jay Powell explain how fast inflation comes down and how the Fed avoids recession. Michael McKee, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, thanks, Mike. Full coverage of the Fed decision and Jay Powell's news conference begins at 1.30 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio and Television. Well, turning to the markets now, John, stocks in Hong Kong surged in 9% amid a pledge from China to keep capital markets stable. We get the recap from Bloomberg's Juliet Sally in Singapore. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, John and Karen. The Hang Seng Tech Index rebounded from a brutal sell-off to jump the most on record, lifting sentiment across the Asia-Pacific. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index had its biggest one-day gain since 2008. China's CSI 300 jumped the most since July 2020. Equities in China and Hong Kong had been under pressure, shredding $1.5 trillion combined over the first two days of this week on regulatory fears and speculation that Beijing's ties with Russia raise the risk of a U.S. backlash. In Singapore, Juliet Sali, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thanks, Juliet. There are problems once again with nickel trading on the London Metal Exchange. Let's go live to London now and get the latest live with Bloomberg's Ewan Potts. Ewan. Good morning, John and Karen. Today was supposed to be the day they said nickel is back. But just minutes after nickel trading resumed on the London Metal Exchange, it was halted again. The LME citing a technical issue with its new daily limit. Several trades appeared to be at prices below the 5% limit, suggesting they may later be cancelled by the exchange. Not the news the LME would have wanted more than a week after it suspended trading. Live in London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Ewan, thank you. U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson began a visit to the United Arab Emirates in Saudi Arabia in hopes of convincing leaders to ramp up oil production. And Bloomberg's Simone Foxman says it'll take some persuading. We've seen both countries a bit resistant to uh, plans to increase production by OPEC, OPEC+. Plus. In the past, the UAE has seemed to, in recent days, become a little bit more amenable that there's just not enough oil being produced. Bloomberg Simone Foxman says Johnson hopes more production will ease energy prices. And checking oil right now, NYMEX crude oil up 1.3 percent. It's at $97.70 a barrel. Brent is up about 2 percent at $101.90. And turning to the pandemic, Pfizer has asked U.S. regulators to approve a second coronavirus booster shot for senior citizens. Let's get the latest live from Bloomberg's Renita Young. Renita, good morning. Good morning, John. Pfizer and BioNTech said Israel had already started offering a fourth shot to older people and healthcare workers last year as Omicron circulated. And the data shows the fourth shot given at least four days or four months, rather, after the third reduced the rate of infection and severe illness. That's compared to those who were given just one booster shot. The analysis was for over 1.1 million adults 60 and older with with no known history of COVID infection. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thank you. And again, futures are higher this morning with S&P futures up about 45 points. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines, plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. 
Right, thanks, Karen. 507 on Wall Street. And let's bring in Michael Barr now with more on what else is going on in New York and around the world. John, thank you, sir. New York's Department of Health underreported the number of nursing home deaths by as much as 50% during certain periods of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's according to an audit that criticized former Governor Andrew Cuomo's administration for faulty data collection and misleading statistics. The audit from the state comptroller says at least 4,100 nursing home deaths weren't accounted for from April 2020 to February 2021. The findings affirm earlier reports, including one from 2021 conducted by New York Attorney General Letitia James. Americans would no longer need to change their clocks twice a year under a bipartisan proposal that passed the Senate. Legislation introduced by Senators Ed Markey and Marco Rubio would make daylight saving time, which most states observe for eight months out of 12, permanent across the country. Senator Marco Rubio noted its appeal. It's an eclectic collection of members of the United States Senate in favor of what we've just done here in the Senate, and that's to pass a bill to make a daylight savings time permanent. The measure still needs approval from the House. South Korea says North Korea fired an unidentified projectile, but it is presumed that it failed immediately after launch. It was the 10th such weapons test this year. Second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, tested positive for COVID-19. It prompted Vice President Kamala Harris to cancel her appearance at an equal pay event last night at the White House. Harris tested negative for the virus. President Biden. Kamala chose not to take a chance since her husband had contracted COVID, always feeling very well, I'm told. Uh, by the way, uh, when he tested, he's fine, but out of abundance of caution, she decided she wasn't going to join us today. But let's send her our love because she's something else. President Biden also said during the event, Women's History Month is an opportunity to honor the vision and the achievements of trailblazing women and girls who built the very character of this nation. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. John. Michael, thank you. Now 510 on Wall Street. It's time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's John Stashauer. Thanks, John. When Kyrie Irving isn't making news for not getting the vaccine and the controversy over him not being allowed to play home games, he's playing, at least on the road. And last night, Kyrie put on a show. Irving, left wing three. Good! There's 60 for Kyrie Irving. A franchise record. A career high. Kyrie Irving. Puts the next up, 131-94 with eight and a half to go in the fourth quarter. A timeout, Orlando. WFAN had it, Irving, then got taken out, so he could have scored a lot more. He had 41 points at halftime. First NBA player to do that in five years. The Nets wallop the Magic, 150-108, to but tonight's game is at home, so Irving can sit in the stands, but he can't play. And now there are questions about Met and Yankee players who haven't gotten the vaccine. Apparently it's the same for outdoor sporting events, and when Aaron Judge was asked if he's vaccinated, he sidestepped the question. The Yankees are bringing back Anthony Rizzo to play first base. Acquired last summer after a decade with the Cubs. The Yanks have now added three infielders in three days. Someone like Luke Voigt and or Glaber Torres may now have to go. At the Garden, Rangers 4-3 overtime win over Anaheim. Adam Fox, the game winner. He also had two assists. Chris Kreider, the game tying goal. His 39th three assists for Artemi Panarin. Devils lost in Vancouver 6-3. Islanders lost in Washington 4-3 in a shootout. The Giants have signed veteran Tyrod Taylor. 
So unlike last year when Daniel Jones got hurt, the Giants now have a dependable backup quarterback. The Jets signed two free agent defensive backs, safety Jordan Whitehead, who's been with Tampa Bay, cornerback D.J. Reed comes from Seattle. John Stashower, Bloomberg Sports, John. All right, John, thanks very much. Ahead of the cash open on Wall Street, seeing a rally, at least as futures are concerned, the Dow futures right now. They are up 298 points. That's up nine-tenths of a percent. S&P E-mini futures, 45 points higher. That's a rise of 1%. And the Nasdaq futures up 1.66%. That's up 223 points. In German trading right now, the DAX up 2.6%. In London, the FTSE 101.2% higher. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Bloomberg weather for today from Ron Carroll and sunny and mild. The high temperature about 65 degrees. Tomorrow, occasional light rain. The high temperature topping out in the mid-50s. This is Bloomberg. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow, and stocks are surging along with U.S. stock index futures as China's vow to stabilize battered markets lifts sentiment after weeks of worries about war and high inflation. Treasury yields are rising ahead of the Federal Reserve rate decision, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day. On Bloomberg, S&P futures up 48 points, Dow futures up 313, NASDAQ futures up 232. The DAX in Germany is up 2.6%. The 10-year Treasury down 7.30 seconds, yields 2.16%. They yield on the two-year 1.85%. NYMEX crude oil is up 1.8% up $1.71 at $98.13 a barrel. COMEX gold on half percent or $9.50 at $19.20.20 an ounce. The euro 1.0993 against the dollar. British pound 1.3069. The yen at 118.31. And Bitcoin this morning up 2.6% at $40,450. And the International Energy Agency saying Russia's oil output may slump by about a quarter next month, inflicting the biggest supply shock in decades as buyers shun the nation's exports following its invasion of Ukraine. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Ukraine's president is preparing to make a direct appeal for more help in a rare speech by a foreign leader to the U.S. Congress, even as Russia continued its bombardment of the Ukrainian capital. Previewing his speech to Congress, President Volodymyr Zelensky thanked President Joe Biden and all the friends of Ukraine for $13.6 billion in new support. Meanwhile, officials from Ukraine and Russia are set for further talks today. In the NBA, the Nets on the road beat the Magic 150-108. Kyrie Irving put up a 60 spot. In the NHL, the Rangers beat the Ducks in overtime 4-3. The Islanders lost in a shootout to the Capitals 4-3. The Devils lost. The Bruins won an OT against the Blackhawks 2-1. Global news 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries, I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. John. Michael, thank you. It is coming up on 520 on Wall Street. We are live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Russia and Ukraine are scheduled for another round of negotiations today. Let's get an update on the war in Ukraine. We're joined now by Bloomberg's executive editor for international government, Rosalind Matheson. Ros, thanks for being with us this morning. What exactly are the negotiating positions? And I, 
you know, just parenthetically, can anybody even be sure that Russia is negotiating in good faith? Well, these are the ongoing conversations that are at a, at a lower official level. These are not ministers or above who are having these conversations. So there's limits to what they can actually discuss and negotiate because, of course, the biggest stuff would only be approved uh, by the Russian president, Vladimir Putin himself. So these talks seem to be focusing on getting a broader potential ceasefire in Ukraine, uh, widening humanitarian corridors that only seem to be opening for a few hours at a time to let uh, people leave areas that are really in the, in the thick of the conflict um, and so on. And so that seems to be where they, they are being concentrated. And that's where you see some initial sounds from either side that there could be uh, prospects for some sort of progress, even if they say that the overall conversation remains quite difficult. Um, and obviously any negotiations in this environment are very fraught, but they're really contained to focusing on those things, the broader questions of how do you end this conflict, including the issue of Ukrainian neutrality and so on, that's probably uh, being left to officials at, at a much higher level than these conversations. Can we pierce through the, the fog right now and get an accurate picture of what's happening on the ground? Well, it seems like the attacks on infrastructure and on cities are continuing from the air. So you're seeing uh, shelling that's going on still. Uh, it looks like the Russian uh, forces are making further progress in areas in the south. Certainly they've got the city of Mariupol under continuous siege at this point. Uh, however, their advance continues to be fairly slow outside Kiev and the intelligence from the Ukrainian side is that they're really focusing on in reinforcing their positions, existing positions right now uh, outside Kiev rather than moving their forces forward. That said, uh, the government in Kiev is taking every precaution. They've announced a cease, uh, curfew rather for that city that will run through till Thursday. That's suggesting it's not just Russian troops that they're worried about. It's perhaps some of the other elements that might be in this fight, mercenary groups and others coming into the capital and trying to cause havoc uh, at all hours. So that's what that curfew is probably about, because more broadly, the Russian forces outside Kiev seem to not be moving very far. Do we know what's getting into Ukraine from the West in terms of uh, support? Well, certainly both humanitarian aid to some extent seems to be moving in, particularly across the Polish border. So that's reaching areas in western Ukraine, uh, but very difficult to get aid into areas of southern Ukraine uh, and those cities, again, that are under siege. Uh, convoys are struggling to get through, uh, getting stopped at roadblocks and so on. So some humanitarian aid is getting in. Obviously, military aid is also continuing to flow. Countries have been sending a lot of anti-tank weaponry in particular. That's proved very effective against the Russian forces so far and is the reason, again, why they've struggled uh, in places near Kiev. So that military stuff is continuing. Ukraine is obviously asking for a lot more, including fighter jets and so on, that Western nations say right now isn't really feasible. Um, so you can expect more of those requests, for example, to come today when the Ukrainian president addresses uh, the U.S. Congress. What do you expect from that speech to the Congress today from Zelensky? You can expect a lot of thanks uh, for what's been support that's come so far. Uh, and he's addressed different law separate groups of lawmakers in the U.S., of course, in the past few weeks. But as he goes around parliaments around the world and gives these speeches, there's also an air of frustration 
that is evident in how he talks. He says that he's grateful for the support, but really NATO and the West need to do much more. They need to actually send fighter jets in. They need to do a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which is obviously very difficult for NATO to do. They need to get, in a way, involved militarily to the extent that they're not comfortable about. So you can expect him to press on those points again. Of course, the U.S. and uh, the U.S. president has made clear that doing so would probably create a broader conflict, and certainly NATO is not going to get involved uh, to that extent. But certainly uh, the Ukrainian president will make those points again publicly. Okay, and of course the the war will be topic one when uh, President Biden travels to Europe uh, next week. Roz, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Rosalind Matheson, the Bloomberg Executive Editor for International Government. In a programming note, starting at 9 o'clock approximately, we'll bring you uh, live the speech from Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky right here on Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg Television. Right now, futures indicate a higher open on Wall Street. Dow futures up 298 points. S&P E-mini futures, they're at 47 points. This is Bloomberg. Nice day on tap uh, in the forecast. Sunny and mild today. The high temperature, 65 degrees. And tomorrow's outlook, occasional light rain. The high temperature in the mid-50s. This is Daybreak. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Stocks are surging and U.S. stock index futures are climbing as China's vow to stabilize battered markets lifts sentiment after weeks of worries about war and high inflation. Treasury yields rising ahead of the Federal Reserve rate decision. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures up 45 points, down futures up 282. NASDAQ futures up 231. The DAX in Germany is up 2.1 percent. Ten-year Treasury down 330 seconds, yield 2.15 percent. And the yield on the two-year, 1.84 percent. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Baron, thank you very much. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Russia's positions in the negotiations sound more realistic as the two sides are scheduled for another round of talks today. Meanwhile, President Zelensky will make a rare wartime address by a foreign leader to both chambers of Congress. He will plead with U.S. lawmakers by video conference for more aid as Russia invades his country. In the NBA, the Nets on the road beat the Magic 150-108. Kyrie Irving put up a 60 spot. In the NHL, the Rangers beat the Ducks in overtime 4-3. The Islanders lost in a shootout to the Capitals 4-3. The Devils lost. The Bruins won an OT against the Blackhawks 2-1. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, John. Michael, thank you. 548 on Wall Street. We're live for the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It is liftoff. The Federal Reserve concludes a two-day meeting today with the expected start of an interest rate hiking cycle. Let's get a preview now. Sarah House is Senior Economist at Wells Fargo. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, quarter point seems to be baked into the cake today, so that leaves, at least for me, wondering about the uh, the future path. What do you suppose we're going to see with the dot plots Right. So the 25 basis point hike is pretty much a done deal, we think, based on Powell's testimony the other week right before the blackout. But you're right. It it really comes down to the path ahead. So 
Uh, we will get a update via the dot plot in terms of what the Fed thinks that the most likely path of, of policy is. But we have to remember that there's heightened uncertainty in this environment. So not only do we have the highest inflation in 40 years, but of course now we've layered on this Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we also have to remember it's only March. So even if we see the dot plot shift higher, there's there's still questions over when those additional rate hikes get, get played out. So is 50 basis points, for example, still on the table at, at some point? Is so I'm sorry. Uh, is Jay Powell Go going to sound a little bit like Paul Volcker in the the messaging that he delivers today? What what do you expect from the Fed chair? I think he will be really firm in that the Fed does have that the Fed is very serious about their objective of obtaining inflation. That that's good for growth. It's ultimately good for the labor market. So I think he he will talk pretty tough on on that. But I think he will acknowledge that. There's there's still a lot that they that they don't know in terms of how this is going to unfold, but they want to be better positioned around curtailing that inflation, which is why I think the dot plot and what he will indicate will will signal a series of, of rate hikes in the coming meetings. Does the shock that we got from the the war uh, uh, in Ukraine does that mean a more dovish uh, hiking cycle? Not necessarily, because I, I think overall the typical playbook of, of looking through commodity shocks still applies for, for the Fed. And when you strip out what's happening, headline inflation via and via growth, you're still left with core inflation, which is exceptionally strong. So back in December, the Fed was looking for core inflation to be 2.7% by the, the end of next year. Bloomberg consensus right now is, is estimating that's 3.6%. We, we think it'll be even higher above And so I think they still have to tackle this inflation problem. And while there is going to be a growth hit, we think it's manageable given the starting point of the U.S. economy. So we think they're still very much tied to to tackling inflation. We often hear that the the cure for higher prices is, in fact, higher prices. Is there any demand destruction out there that you uh, see? Well, I think we will see some some curtailment when we look at, for example, things like how much perhaps uh, some consumers are are driving. But this is coming at a point when consumers are in really strong financial shape. So we've talked lots about the excess savings over the past year and a half, as well as the strong balance sheet. And so I think there's there's still some room to withstand this for for consumers. And so we're we're not quite at the point where. Um, where I think we'll see, you know, massive demand destruction, but I think we will see some pulling back leading to slower growth. But again, this is all very manageable given the, the starting point of the U.S. economy. And has the rate of inflation peaked at this point? Where do you expect it to go this year? It's, it's, it's close to peaking if it hasn't all already. So I think in part it will come down to, to the path of oil. So obviously with the moves we've seen recently, I think that does support that the peak is, is probably close here in, in terms of the, the March data. But, again, there's a lot of uncertainty, and we've seen how quickly things in markets can change. So it's hard to say for for certain if, if inflation has peaked. But I think we are getting to a point where not only are base effects getting harder, but, of course, we've had this tightening in financial conditions, slowing demand, and so that should help bring inflation down. Sarah, always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Sarah House, Senior Economist at Wells Fargo. Karen. 
All right, John, thank you. It is 5.53 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Law Report, brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 90 years. More at ADR.org. Now let's get to the legal stories we're watching this morning from Bloomberg's Jeff Bellinger. Forty lawyers who have argued before the Supreme Court signed a letter to Chief Justice Roberts urging that the live audio feeds of oral arguments that began during the pandemic be made permanent. Witnesses told a Senate panel that backlogs in the processing of green card applications have employers struggling to retain top foreign talent. The EPA says it is being cautious about rules on some risky chemicals and it may not start regulating the chemicals until 2025 or later. Bloomberg Law. Everything you need, all on one legal research platform, including guidance, analysis, and Bloomberg Market Intelligence. Find out more at BloombergLaw.com. All right, John, thank you. And now another legal story we're watching. WNBA star Brittany Griner has been detained in Russia for almost a month after Russian authorities say they found vape cartridges containing cannabis oil in her luggage during a search at an airport near Moscow. Griner has been assigned a Russian attorney, but very little else is known about her case. The Russian system of justice is very different from our adversarial system, and the acquittal rate is less than 1%. For more, Bloomberg's June Grasso speaks to Jeffrey Kahn, a professor of law at SMU. I've heard experts say that once someone gets arrested in Russia, it's nearly impossible to get them out from behind bars. But I will say that a lot of experts on the Russian criminal justice system and the Russian legal system have come to a conclusion that Russia operates what you could call a dual state. On the one hand, the criminal justice system and the entire judicial system is staffed with very competent, well-educated, professional men and women in the form of judges and prosecutors and defense attorneys and investigators. And the system has gotten much, much better to the point where it can perform professionally, efficiently, and even fairly in the mine run of cases, ordinary cases of no concern to the state. But when the state takes an interest in a particular case or in a more corrupt manner, individual oligarchs or people with power take an interest in a particular case, that case can metaphorically move over to a political side of the docket where it's very, very difficult to get a result that's solely based on law. There is much more concern for political influence in particular cases. There's a heavy thumb on the scales of justice that is placed there by the state, which is in control of the case file, when the state or people of power in that system have an interest in those cases. Do we know what's happening now? Should we assume that the Russian investigator is building the case against Greiner, and then when he or she is done, we'll know what the charges are? Yes. Under the theory of an inquisitorial system, it's not that the investigator is building the case against Griner, but the idea would be that the investigator is gathering all of the evidence. Now, under the Russian Criminal Procedure Code, a defense attorney now has the opportunity to do his or her own direct investigation, as well as to try to be involved in immediate way in the investigator's work. But yes, what's happening now is the development of the case file, and there are time limits on that. The initial time limit is two months, 
but that can be extended by a court if more time is needed. Likewise, that time limit is pretty closely tied to the limits on pretrial detention. So if Ms. Greiner is in pretrial detention now, the next stage that has to be completed is the completion of a case file. And that's Jeffrey Kahn, a professor of law at SMU, speaking with Bloomberg's June Grasso. Catch more of that interview, plus analysis of the latest legal news, by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast or downloading the show at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal at Go. And futures this morning are on the rise. S&P futures up 43 points. Dow futures up 270. NASDAQ futures up 218 and NYMEX crude oil up 7 tenths percent or 67 cents. It's at $97.13 a barrel. And Bloomberg Daybreak continues. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.